Why can't you buy? I, for work, even... For work, and, yeah. And it will become apparent why. But I spent about two hours last night looking up synonyms for taking a shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can't emphasise enough how this was for proper grown-up professional work. Yeah. Proper yeah, sometimes, sometimes life work. is like that. Um, yeah. But I can't find the... <laughs> I can't find the good um, list. Because there was a bunch I hadn't heard. And I was like, Podquisition's got to hear this. Podquisition's got to see this. Um... But I'm just finding all the boring ones that I... Um, just a poop tease. Just a poop tease. Uh, oh! Oh, here are a couple of... <laughs> um, slop some bum slugs. Uh-huh. That was one that I saw. That, that sure is one. Uh, liberate the brown trout. That was... Uh, <laughs> that was one. Right, yeah, I've got mm-hmm. the, this list. This list seems promising. I think this is one of the ones I was looking at last night. You got some obvious ones: bake a loaf, blow mud, um, build a dookie castle, taking uh, the Browns to the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Yep, yeah, that I <laughs> I did see that uh, in my research yesterday. Uh, cook a butt burrito, uh, curl some pipe. Uh, what have we got here? Uh, obviously we got the famous ones, drop the kids off at the pole. Um, dump a stump. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Grow a tail. <laughs> uh, launch a butt shuttle. That's cute. Yeah, butt shuttle's good. <laughs> yeah, Look make that. a deposit at the porcelain bank. Yep, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like pack your underwear. How's... That's Whoa. not a euphemism for shitting. <laughs> That's just a euphemism for shitting yourself. Yeah, I don't And like not that. even a euphemism. I... It's just what it is. <laughs> this one's classy. Park some bark. Park some bark. Park uh-huh. some bark. Uh-huh. I like that. Uh, prairie dogging. That one's come up a lot. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's very evocative, actually. I really yeah. like that. I was going to say, my, my understanding is that that's like... A niche sub- a subset like that's like I'm not intending to, but it's starting to well, happen. It's like turtling is the other one that I think. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's like oh, just just popping its head out to have a look. Uh, sink the Bismarck. <laughs> uh, squeeze the cheese. <laughs> Which, honestly, if you if your business is comparable to cheese, certainly the squeezable kind, I would seek medical attention. Um, Almost immediately. Stop listening and go see a doctor. Busting a grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a show I'd want Jonathan Holmes to star in. Uh, <laughs> unloose the caboose. Murder a brown snake. Yeah. Download some software. That one's a stretch. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to no. emphasize that one's a stretch is not on the... Well, but, I mean, you're not... That's, it's totally backwards. Like, that doesn't even work. Yeah. Like, you'd be uploading that for one thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, uh, it, storing some files on the porcelain server. There you go. There, yeah, go. there you go. There you go. Making um, a backup on the porcelain server. There we go. Oh, yeah. that's perfect. 
Is that too long to be an episode title? Because I really like that. No, we can fit <laughs> that in. We can fit that in. <laughs> what the hell? Sorry, I, I just saw the phrase, the brain hemorrhage through your nose shit. <laughs> oh, this, this is a site describing different kinds of shits. The clean oh, shit, the okay. wet shit. Oh. The brain hemorrhage through your nose shit. We've left safe and enjoyable waters. We're in dangerous you're territory gonna, here. You're going to blow a ring there, friend. Yeah. Don't do that. I'll, ref- yeah. I'll return to such phrases as there's a brown dog scratching at the back door. <laughs> Bart truffles! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bart truffles. I like that one. So many people have thought so hard about this. Right. Decorate the Oval Office. Uh... It's, it's universal, right? Everybody right? Yeah. poops. That, like that book set. Yeah, and, and like Michael Stipe sung. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. <laughs> Making underwater sculptures. Uh, I think those are all the good ones. Well, for a given value of good. I think I think that'll do. Yeah. I think I think I think you know if people are clamouring for more, I'm sure we can scrape some more together for next week. But that that'll parcel out for, for seven days. Yeah, <laughs> I I just pardon the phrase had to get it out of my system. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I release the chocolate hostages. That was the one. That was the one. Welcome, welcome to Pogmosis. That was the one I was trying to remember. <laughs> release the chocolate hostages. This is a, in theory, this is a video game, <laughs> video game show. Uh, well, uh, you can really twi- work on that too, because like then if if you're if you're really struggling. Like you're having, you're engaged in tense negotiations with your ass to release the chocolate hostages. Right? Oh, <laughs> that, that's a timeless classic. It's brilliant. Uh, I have had shit, shit on the brain for, well, many would say my entire career, but certainly in the past 24 hours, it has been wall to wall poop. Sometimes the universe leads you down interesting research rabbit holes for it work, and sometimes does. those involve. Learning about poop synonyms, yeah. but but I think, yeah. In in a a month's time, there are a lot of listeners who will um, remember this episode, and we'll just think, "God damn it, <laughs> Steph!" So look forward to that. Um, but you are right, Laura. We are on allegedly a podcast about video games, not about poo. Um, no, I do have yeah. uh, pardon the phrase an outlet for that. Well, I might have a place to to start that's almost a tangent from your intro. Oh, right. it, it's a little stretched, but it's almost a tangent. <laughs> a little stretched. Um, yeah, I was thinking a little stretched. Uh, I went. I went and saw a movie about a plumber this morning. Oh. Oh. I went. I went and saw that Mario movie, and I, 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 I'm gonna keep this quick because I know you two have got your own video game movies. Oh show, yeah, we do it all the time. But... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That regular show. <laughs> Yeah, in in theory, you have a show that you do, uh, but he, here is the best compliment I can give this film before I get into specifics. I went on a Wednesday morning of, like, the school holidays to go see this film, and I was in a screening full of very young children on their school holidays, yeah. and I have had some terrible screening experiences of films in the, that kind of setting. I wanted to see it before Podquisition recorded. I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go. Those kids shut the hell up and stayed pretty damn quiet the whole time. Yeah? And like, like it pretty well kept their attention. Like, there was barely a 
what's going on question to an adult happening, which is, I think, a credit to this film doing what it is trying to do. I think this is a pretty good seven and a half out of ten. Like, it's good. It's a, it's a, it's a good plays it safe film. Uh, I there's a couple, of, a couple of things that like I was kind of surprised by. Uh, Chris Pratt's like you, you know when we saw like the little clip of Chris Pratt speaking, it's just fucking Chris Pratt for two seconds. Sounded just like Chris Pratt. He made no fucking effort. Yeah. They. Look, I hate to say this because Chris, Chris Pratt is a bit of a fucking twat, if we're honest, yeah. but that little clip did not do him justice. He did all right. He did all right. He puts he did he put some effort in and he did a voice and honestly he's not bad. Oh, fair play. Um the only voice performance in this I think is like weirdly out of place is Cranky Kong is a character, and he does not sound old or cranky enough to me, and that was like, there was some, it was, the choice of his voice was a little odd, but like, generally I think the voice cast did a really good job. Um, this is like, it, it's a very fucking bare bones film in terms of plot. Like, this is, this is a film that has barely more plot in it than your standard Mario game. But, the pacing and the humour is good enough that I had a good time watching. Like, it's not amazing, it's not, you know, I didn't walk away there with any kind of emotional revelations or anything, but I had some genuine chuckles, and it was paced well enough to keep my ADHD fucking ass engaged, and it's a very good-looking film, and there was a couple of... I like some of the stuff they've done characterization-wise. I honestly think they've done a pretty good job... Like, while the plot is, like... Bare fucking bones. The film is kind of carried by the fact that it is well-performed and keeps up a good pace, and the character interactions are really fun. They they have a lot of good chemistry between characters. Weirdly, my biggest complaint, most of this film, Mario and Luigi, are separated from each other, and they had really good chemistry. And, like, they were really fun seeing Interact, and I really wish they th- that they had been a duo for more of that film. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it is a, it is a good, plays-it-safe movie, ad- um, like, video game adaptation. It's not a bad film. They've done all right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of, I sort of had that expectation. You yeah. know, uh, it's... yeah, I, I expect a pretty solid movie by this point. I mean, they've got a, a production house that can do this form of entertainment very well. The cast is solid performers. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear it though. Uh, yeah, on, honestly, I, the, I, it was, it exceeded my expectations in as much as I was like, I don't blame this film for playing it really fucking safe, because I know that the looming spectre of the late 80s uh, hangs over this film, and there is enough in here to be amusing for adults and for people who have an investment in a couple of decades of this as a game series to make... to carry you through the fact that at times this is... There's there's maybe a third of this film where everything is very by the numbers. We're doing the thing because video game. Yeah, I, but like, yeah, the, the character interactions are fun enough. It it's not it's not a bad film. I'm I honestly like they could do whatever they want with yeah. the Super Mario Brothers movie because we already have 
the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah. it's not just the Super Mario Brothers movie, it's the movie. It's yeah. it's the yeah. the Alpha and the Omega, really, of or the Mario and Luigi yeah. of films. I, yeah. So yeah. they can do anything that they want. It does, you know, it, it could be bad, it could be mediocre. I would be totally fine with that because the other thing exists and is perfect. And it's nice to hear that what they're doing is at worst inoffensive. There was nothing in this film that I actively was like, that is bad. At its worst, it was a little predictable and a little by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, that was its low points. And you know what? I'll I'll take it. That is that is better than I had, you know, the last few decades have taught me to fear with video game movies. So yeah, on on the good on the above average, a little above average. It is a, it was a, it was a good good if if played played it a little safe time. Uh yeah. What about you both? You played anything this week? Um, I well, I played some. Uh... Some spelunky, as I'm prone to do. Yeah. yeah, and I'm really, I'm really just popping in to say I beat Hundun uh, on my stream Monday night, and I'm very happy with myself. It's only the, I think the second time I've actually done it, but it's the first time there's documented evidence of me having done it. Yeah. So that felt good. It's um, always nice when you do a cool thing like that on like an actual live yeah. stream. Yeah. Yeah. Those live streams happen at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. Um, I got streams. Yeah, sometimes. I got streams. Go check sometimes. them out. Uh, but the other thing I was streaming uh, last night that I, I just, I, I was not sure what I wanted to do with my evening. And I started looking through the PlayStation 2 library and mm. remembered Burnout. Remember yeah, when Burnout I, I, was Burnout? Yeah. When I was raiding into you last yeah. night, I was like, huh. That's... I was very surprised to see that you were streaming Burnout. Yeah. It just it felt very random. Yeah, well, it was a little bit random, but I, there's something really enjoyable about that series, particularly in its, its earlier iterations. Um, Paradise just... I was already kind of pardon the phrase burned out um on dominator which had proceeded it was the last uh one before they went open world with paradise and uh the open world just killed it for me in the end they'd already taken away crash and then um as a game mode which is you know the puzzle mode and i love a puzzle mode in a in a otherwise action-oriented game. And those were the most fun for me, you know, to be presented with this intersection and figure out how I can cause the most damage possible in one action and maybe a couple of follow-ups. But then having to, like, drive to do events felt so tedious and unnecessary to me. This has menus, right? Remember menus? Remember when you would, like, scroll through a menu and load a level and just go? Like, this is still exigent in racing titles and things like that, but Mm. all games used to have this at one time or another. You didn't have to, like, 
spend 20 minutes to go do something you wanted to do. You just press the button. You just, like, get to the bit of the game you want. Yeah. 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 So that was good. That was fun to experience. Um, I did have to mute the audio because it is just all licensed tracks. And, and the branding is amazing oh. on these old EA games. My God. Like, it's just their feces are everywhere. EA tracks. And these weird mm. partnerships, like the Logitech uh, F1 car, or the 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 black car. Do you remember Black, the shooter from EA? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was last year where I was replaying it and talked about a, a little on podquisition. Um, yeah, I replayed a bit of Black last year. It's. Uh, it's a first-person shooter. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Boy, you you do notice in, in games of this sort how much we've progressed graphically, visually, not just in terms of um, textures and models, but you know, draw distance. Um, yeah. Boy, some of these races, I am just running into shit because i couldn't see it and there wasn't enough like visual distinctiveness to make it stand out that i would observe it in time to prevent hitting it um and sometimes i just hit something and not even know what it was that i'd hit because there's the visual information is so garbled at its resolution that you can't really tell um thought that was interesting but uh, still a really fun game, and I, I know it's it's I, I I should never ask for things from the game industry because that's like you know a gin, but I would really love to see a bit of a return to or even just another example of car combat or car action. Uh, enter the market and i think that you know there's been a, a recent interest in 70s aesthetics and um and things like that in games we had a bunch of roller derby stuff come through i would love to see demolition derby be attempted with what we sort of know about game design now and the things that we could do i think it could be it would be kind of cool to see that game come back. Right? That would be neat. Yeah. So anyway, Burnout Takedown is, is still a lot of fun. And I, I will probably play some more of it because it is still a lot of fun. Uh, Steph, you play anything? Yeah, I played a game of note. Um, it's a game called Dredge. It's Oh, I've oh. seen people play this. Yeah, it's sort of uh, mm. the... Um, Indie game du jour, I guess. Um, and yeah. well earned. It's very good. It's it's quite good indeed. I finished it today. Um, and it's... It's it, it's a fishing sim, essentially. Uh, you control a little boat, and you're on this ocean, and there are a couple of locations um, on this map. It's not a massive map, um, but it's, you know... It's big enough for what it needs to be. 
um, the basic uh, core of it, like the core of the gameplay, is your fishing. You have this little boat, you're tootling around, different locations have different fish, and there are a number of timed little minigame type things to catch the fish. Um, you know, like a little uh, circle with a marker going around it, and you've got to hit it in time with the, with the marker hitting little coloured bits on the track. Um, there's a couple of different ones, but they're all like that, all basically just sort of hitting markers when they hit the right target um neat enough um fun enough uh a big part of the game is uh inventory tetris uh for anyone who was playing the resident evil 4 remake and was like oh i miss that uh you had when you had to manually organize your inventory uh with all these different shaped items uh you'll be able to fill your fucking boots with this one all the fish have different shapes and all the other sort of items you pick up like upgrade materials and stuff um they're all different shapes that you've got to place on a grid that you can expand with upgrades um and that's the general sort of premise of it it's very chill uh very laid back until it isn't um for example, when some of the fish you bring up uh, have blood seeping from their scales or uh, giant bulbous eyes that glow and can um, allegedly see a new sky. It's an interesting horror game on top of the fishing sim. Um, this is most evident, and it doesn't take long to, to get into it, but it, it, it's most apparent at night when suddenly... Um, weird little cloudy whispers are making their way onto your boat and if they manage to do it then the fish you've caught will start to get infected, start to get covered with weird sort of goo um, some of the NPCs all um, like give you parcels to deliver to another town and the parcels are like oozing black fluid and seem to be um, muttering things Uh you eventually sort of hit upon the core story, which is... Well, I say eventually, very quickly hit upon the core story, which is collecting relics uh, for this mysterious um, collector fella uh, who will start granting you these extra powers um, that are a little less um, based in reality, uh, like a little quick travel thing or um, a haste spell to make the boat go faster. Um, it's really kind of cool. Uh, if you like that sort of thing, uh, which I, I, I'm not ordinarily massively into it, but I did find it very easy to get into this sort of loop of setting out from a safe area, gathering fish, going back, selling it. Um, <clears throat> the stuff with the, the sort of horror stuff is fine up to a point. It's fine until it gets spiteful. Uh, sometimes when the, the game will just decide, like, you are going to be punished for playing the game now. Um, so here is a giant sea monster that's just going to smash into your boat and break bits of your inventory space and make your fish go overboard. Or, you know, there was, something happened today where there was a fish I'd been looking for for bloody, like, half the fucking game. I've been trying to find this fish to give to someone for a side quest. I finally found it, 
made all made my way over to where the NPC was, and then some fucking eldritch crows turned up, swooped onto the boat and stole it, and and that was it. That was I I had no fucking recourse. They just took it. Um, so sometimes the game's a little spiteful, but the majority of the time is very enjoyable. I found myself playing it um, and losing track of time doing so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know a lot of people have been talking about it and it does deserve a lot of, um, a lot of praise. It's a really good little, um, horror fishing sim and I do have issues with it. I do find it a bit, it can get a little tedious and it can get frustrating with some of the, uh, attacks from the the various sort of spooky things. But I, I, I would recommend both of you check it out i think laura and conrad mm. uh both of you would get a lot out of this i love um, a fishing sim yeah, yeah it feels as i was playing it i was like i could see both conrad and laura being quite into this so yeah i would recommend it it is on my list to check out once i've got a little more free time mm-hmm. to dive into something new but it seems like it would be my vibe yeah it, it's it's worth it and the uh the the various sort of aberration designs of the fish because every fish will have one or sometimes two variants to uh, show the the sort of mutanty ones and they're really cool um, like a like I said there's there's a red snapper who's bleeding from behind its gills so it's all just sort of translucent and red or just a salmon with like black inky goo oozing from its mouth and it's it's got a really nice art style in general a lot of sort of um a lot of, it's almost all still art like for character portraits and stuff although the uh, little portraits for the fish do a little wobble do a little wobble and make a splatty noise when you move them on the inventory uh which i like so yeah yeah good very good game. I I very nice. much enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. It it yeah. does sound intriguing. Yeah. Uh I played a bunch of little things this week. Like I've I've played a lot of stuff that I don't have like a huge amount to say about, but I I can rattle through a few bits I've been doing. Uh probably the thing I've put most time into this week is I've been replaying Breath of the Wild oh. from the start. Uh Specifically, I've been playing on the game's DLC Master Mode, which is big old, big old hard mode. Um, So I've been wanting to revisit Breath of the Wild for a while, and considering Tears of the Kingdom's out in, like, I think less than six weeks now, um, I wanted to go back and replay it, and I've I've been putting off doing so for a long time because, like, For me, a big part of the experience of that game was the novelty of being in that world for the first time and not knowing where anything was and what anything was and just sort of the... The the exploration was the journey. And I've tried dipping into it a few times in the years since and the lack of that same first experience just kind of... It, it wasn't the same as what I got out of it the first time, and I, I've sort of fallen off it a couple of times. And I've seemed to have stuck with it more on this revisit, and I think it's because I have gone in explicitly to 
try and get something very different out of that experience. Uh, and what I've done is I've, I've been playing on Master Mode, which for anyone who's not played Breath of the Wild on Master Mode, uh, it is it's a bit of a it's a bit of a jump up in uh, difficulty. Not only do creatures do a lot more damage to you and uh, have more health that you need to chip away, this is this is the thing that like is a bit of a hurdle initially. Enemies have a degree of health regen, which means that you cannot just run away, come back, chip at them a little bit, run away, chip at I them. I wish the fucking you swords have... did. <laughs> um, you have to be aggressive with your attacks. You have to like stay in, keep up the pressure, not back off. Uh, but it also, because of, as you sort of alluded to there, the weapon uh, degradation, you have to go into fights very deliberately with equipment ready. Um, and that has very much changed the way I've, I've thought about this playthrough. It, it, weirdly, the, the biggest hurdle of playing it through on Master Mode has been the Great Plateau. Because as soon as you get off the Great Plateau, like, you can... This game is built in such a way you can go get shit that, that like, you can go get some armor that'll make it so that you're going to be a bit sturdier and you can... You can go get some stuff to, like, jump start a bit to catch up with the difficulty jump. Um, but I've been playing through... Uh, the way I've, I've I sort of play, I've been doing this this replay is I went and unlo unlocked all the map towers. Uh, I went and did all the, sort of, core story dungeons. And then I went straight to go do the Champion's Ballad DLC, which uh, is uh, a handful of, like very difficult puzzle shrines that are definitely more of a mental challenge than anything in the base game. Uh, some rematches of the boss fights with, uh, you are given a specific loadout of equipment and have to beat the boss with the equipment you're given, uh, followed by an additional final dungeon and an additional final boss. The main reason I, like, brute-forced to, like, go do this as soon as possible in my replay is because the reward for doing the Champion's Ballad DLC is a horse motorcycle. It's a motorbike that's a horse, and it's really cool, but the problem is, when that DLC came out, I had already finished the game. So when they gave me a cool horse motorcycle after finishing the DLC, I was like, cool, thank you, I have no reason to use this, I've done everything in the world, you've given me a transport at a point in time when I don't need it. So I went and did all of the core story and all of the DLC just so that I could have the motorcycle early enough in my playthrough that I got some fucking use out of it this time. Um, a complaint I will make about this motorcycle. The motorcycle is cool. It feels like a suitable reward for the effort you have to put in to get it. Dot, dot, dot. Except for the fact it requires fuel. You have to put stuff that you've collected from around the world into it as fuel. And I'm going to argue that if you've gone to the effort of beating all of the main story shrines and all of the DLC stuff and the DLC final boss, I think they should just give you an... I, I think at that point you've earned a motorcycle that you don't have to think about resources for. I think that that is just... That would be a nice reward. And it feels, it feels weirdly needless to have, like, essentially the toughest item to get in the game still come with a drawback to it. Like I'm not usually I'm not usually the person that complains about say weapon degradation or whatnot in in Breath of the Wild. I explicitly think this horse motorcycle having a fuel tank is fucking stupid. 
Um, but I'm enjoying going back to that world, and I think that going back into it with a different mindset has helped, as has really leaving it a long time before jumping back in. But yeah, I'm I'm having fun with Breath of the Wild again, despite having played it indefinitely, not the intended manner, because I wanted my horse motorbike like right away. I know. Yeah. Uh, what about what about what about you, comrade? You played anything else this week? I have been playing this weird little game that just sort of launched on Steam recently called Flame Keeper. I think it sells itself as a roguelite, but it's not really that. Uh, it's it's a stage based game. Like you buy upgrades for yourself. If that if every game where you upgrade your character is now a roguelite, then Okay. Um, you know, the maps are generated, but they're not large enough that they contain all the same features. I don't know. The premise is that you're this little, I don't know, spirit of flame or something, and you are protecting these villages from an encroaching darkness. And it's really charming in its presentation like it's not high-end cgi it's just budget enough to be charming uh which is cool uh and you're a cute little flame guy with eyes and you run around in stages collecting bits of flame which are your health um, and you have to collect lamps from around the environment, bring them back to the starting point, and then use you, you have to you know charge them up. And all of this is predicated on your health. Um, you use your health to unlock the things that hold the lamps, and then you have to take the lamps back, and then you'll use your health again to feed the fire uh the main fire and so you your currency is the health essentially and you're there's this constant sort of push and pull between having enough health to deal with the enemies which by the way if you're an arachnophobe this is just not going to be the game for you it's just not uh you you won't penetrate the first stages because it's just all spiders for the first batch of like Six levels, I think. Just all spiders. So you run around, you have to kill enemies because they drop the currency that is your health that you then need to spend in the uh, progression of the stage. And and it's also used to like unlock little lamps that provide some passive resources. And it's all just sort of very kind of samey right away. It doesn't, you know... Um, and... and each of the biomes of the of the game, uh, like the I don't know groupings of stages, there there's three of them in each, and they get escalating in length. So the first time you just have to do one level of feeding the fireplace or the campfire, I guess they call it, to you know its maximum with all the lamps, and then you move on. And then the next one is, well, now you've got to do that, like, two times. And that kind of sucks, 
because it wasn't super fun the first time. And the subsequent times, it just feels very repetitive. But this is necessary because it's really the only way to give the player enough opportunities to get the resources that they need to upgrade their abilities back at base camp. So, like, I understand mechanically why it kind of has to be there to some extent, but it's not thrilling. Uh, This is at least broken up a bit um, by the last stage, which turns it into more of a uh, tower defense type deal, where enemies will come in from multiple directions and you have to defend your campfire from them. Uh, I like that mode. You get to use your health to power various defenses along the route. Uh, these can get upgraded at your base camp. And, you know, it does get progressively difficult. It's, it's pretty challenging. Your move set is relatively basic, but it's really effective for what you've got. You, uh, you run around. You've got a basic attack. You can unlock a uh, an attack that's attached to your dash, and then there's a, also a ground pound, which I've unlocked but not actually used yet because I keep forgetting I've got it. And uh, the move set's pretty basic, but it's effective enough. And you have to carry items like lamps, which then limit your ability to do certain moves. You can no longer dash when you're holding a large item. Uh, which is a mild restriction, but enough to make it a little bit interesting. It's uh, it's still in development. It's in early access. They're still adding content. I was surprised that I, I'm actually pretty close to having played all of the content in the game so far. And it's worth keeping an eye on, I think, because there is some interesting stuff going on with that push and pull of using your health to do basically everything and having to sort of keep an eye on that. But it doesn't, it, it the balance isn't right yet. I don't feel the tension to it. I'm very rarely placed in a position where those resources are withheld to the extent that uh, I'm not safe health-wise. And I take pretty significant risks because I just want to get some of this over with. Um, but worth, worth keeping an eye on. It does play pretty well. I like the visuals. I think the music's pretty good. And there's, uh, something there that's, that I think works, but it, it does need some refinement. Um, so yeah, Flamekeeper, I'll, I'll keep checking back on it. They've got a ways to go. Steph, anything else from you? Not really. I played been playing more bone razor minions but i've talked that to death there's nothing new to report it is still boners and and come and just really good uh survival stuff um yeah survivor stuff survival is different god we need to come up with a proper name for them um but yeah yeah um it's still fucking great it's still really good. Um, I would like, I'd like to be able to say that I have a whole bunch of 3DS games um, that I played after downloading a bunch before the eShop went dead, but I downloaded them and then just forgot about it. I, I played like 15 minutes of Tokyo Mob, which I'm too tired to even describe that one. It's basically like a, a match three game, but it's got like digitized character models of people queuing up wearing a blue or a 
red or a green suit and you are picking people up and throwing them at the other people um, to make them disappear, to make the queue go back uh, so, uh, before they reach the um, wh- whatever they're queuing up for. It's fucking stupid, um, but kind of cool in a, in a weird way. It's one of them things that it's a shame it's like gone officially because it's a curiosity and it's kind of indicative of the kind of thing that has just gone missing now, legally at least. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Tokyo Mob I played a bit of. It's very weird, um, but kind of cute. Um, and, and an interesting take on the, the, the whole match three thing. Uh, but that was it. That was it. Um, most of my time was with Dredge. Uh, I've, I've got a couple of little things to, to, to finish off with quick. Um, it's time for another visit to Laura's Playdate Corner. Oh! Must be nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty be. nice. Must be real nice. Uh, I, I, played a, I, I played a few new things on the Playdate this week that were all... Uh, like pretty small things that I found on itch.io and sideloaded on, and one of them's a little more in depth than the other the other two, but like not by much. These are all real jump in and not spend too long on them kind of experiences. Um, unnamed roguelike is a game I would hesitate to call a roguelike in that it doesn't really, from what I've seen so far, have persistent leveling between runs. Or picking up upgrades within runs. I'm not quite sure why they've gone with the name they've gone with. Especially because it's also named. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a no, lie I mean, on both the... fronts. Yeah. So, what this game is, is a top-down, grid-based game where you you have like an arena that fills up one visible screen... And when you clear out all the enemies on it, you'll go to the next floor and get all your health back and start again. It is somewhat of a combat puzzle in that enemies only move when you move, and they move the same number of of squares on the grid that you have moved. If you are stood in the grid space exactly next to an enemy, and you press the the D-pad direction to go to where the enemy is, you will deal damage to them without taking any damage yourself. If there is a one square gap between you and you try and do this, you will end up, you know, uh, one square away from each other, but you will take damage rather than them. Uh, Nice and simple in, like, 1v1 to to sort of understand. You are trying to use the the enemy's move-when-I-move mechanic to position yourself so that you are correctly lined up to deal damage rather than take it. Obviously, it gets a little bit more complicated when there are multiple enemies and sometimes they will have differing attack ranges to think about or will deal damage differently. And sometimes there will be things trying to attack you from one side while you're trying to attack in a different direction. Um, The biggest point of confusion I have about this game... Because, like, I generally have enjoyed it for what it is, which is a little, you know, little top-down puzzle-solving combat thing. You clear out all the enemies, you go down to a new floor, things get tougher. It's a nice little bite-sized puzzle. But the thing that frustrates me is this game has multiple playable character classes. 
And if they do anything different other than aesthetics, I can't work it out. Uh, to the degree, and I feel like this is the best way to explain the, the difference. I played as both like a, a sword-wielding warrior and a mage. And I assumed like maybe the mage can attack from like one square back. So there's a, a, a better chance of doing the attacks without uh, taking damage. Because they can do like range stuff because they're magic. Nope, seemed to play exactly the fucking same. Whoa! Could not work out a could not work out a difference between the warrior and the wizard, which feel like if any two things would feel different to play, it would be. Those. I was about to say, like in terms of of disparity in with character yeah, classes, and, you can't and, get like yeah. two two things that I, are classically yeah. further apart. I I tried a couple of others, but those are the two that like feel like the best example of. I feel like I'm missing something because I can't work out why these two don't feel different. Yeah. Um, but if you treat it as just aesthetic, it's a ne- it's a neat enough little th- puzzle of trying to avoid taking damage and deal damage. Uh, I I like that you fully re- reheal health as you go down new floors, so that each time the floor is properly balanced for you having come in with full health, and it is a completable challenge. Which like it it it's a nice way of making sure that like every new level starts completable. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's fine. I I kind of want to put some more time into it, and I'm I do want to find out if there is any difference I'm missing between the characters because I can't work it out. Uh, the other one I played was like a pair of really small little games uh, from the same indie developer. Uh, they were called One Bit Arena and One Bit Jetpack. Uh, One Bit Arena is a high score chasing game where you are looking top down on a little coliseum and a bunch of monsters are coming at you and you use the d-pad to aim at them and press a button to fire, to throw little daggers to try and try and hit the incoming enemies sometimes enemies take multiple hits or you've got to hit them from a specific side or something or like oh that one's an eyeball you've got to hit it while its eyes open uh, but it's basically kill waves of enemies until you get a high enough score go to the next level enemies are tougher it it's nothing much. It's it plays well. It's just a silly little high score chaser. In a similar vein, One Bit Jet Jetpack is a side on perspective game where you can sort of float up in the air with a jetpack. You have a little gun that you can shoot. Enemies are coming at you. This one had slightly more of a mechanic to it because you were trying to fly around the stage, picking up parts of a rocket ship and bring them back to like build this ship, and that's how you got to the next level. So it required you to be shooting off enemies that were coming at you, but also doing something as well. Neither of them is, like, amazing, but they play well and they're silly little silly little things to play around with if you're just in the mood for high score, you know, scratching of an itch. Um, the only other thing I played this week that I, like, will very quickly mention, uh, and this is not a playdate game, I played The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Ah, uh, aha. Uh-huh. I love that name. Well, now this is yeah. uh, this is the joke, right? Uh, well, it's a joke, but it's it also a, a legit, officially yes. released yeah. thing. That's a real thing that's playable yeah. on Steam. So this was this. Look, I'm not a big fan of April Fool's Day, but I do like the category of April Fool's Day thing, where something gets posted and then it's actually released, and you can go play it, and it's actually like more than just a joke. Um. So my understanding is this was not developed by the core Sonic the Hedgehog team. This was entirely created by the Sonic the Hedgehog social media account and the team behind that. But it is a 
multiple hours long visual novel murder mystery in which uh, them th- the cast of the Sonic the Hedgehog series are meant to be doing a fictional murder mystery party and you start with the setup of like oh everyone's getting their little motivation cards as to what's going on and then Sonic the Hedgehog gets actually fucking murdered Okay. And you you got to do a murder mystery and go solve Sonic's murder. And I will say there is more effort put into this than I would have expected. Um, for anyone who's played a Danganronpa game and like sometimes in the middle of trying to do an investigation, there's suddenly just a weird gameplay segment. This has that. Sometimes to work out the answer to a problem you're trying to solve, you your lead character gets a game like a Game Gear out their bag and just starts playing a side-scrolling Sonic like Sonic level to try and free up their brain until they think of a solution. Uh, it is a charmingly written and, like, longer than you would expect in-depth murder mystery. Like, there is multiple hours of well-characterized murder mystery here that I am genuinely having a lot of fun with. Uh, it It is more than just a silly little joke. It is a genuinely interesting visual novel murder mystery. So... Honestly, yeah. You, I do appreciate a... Well, first of all, I think a, a, a great way to, as a company, approach April Fool's is to take the piss out of yourself. You know, and so yeah. that's always good. But, you know, any other day of the year, you put up some lazy thing on social media we just call it a shit post but on april 1st for some reason we're supposed to like it's ridiculous and we're all supposed to do it that day like it's fucking so if somebody is going to the effort to make a prank to to or or to do something fun associated with their product or service um i'm i I hate marketing, but I love marketing. I I love marketing. I like marketing when it commits to the bit. Um, And, like, here's here's the biggest thing I can point out about, like, April Fool's marketing done correctly. There were two Sonic the Hedgehog April Fool's jokes that happened. Oh, were there? So there was the the official Sonic the Hedgehog account that, that released a playable multiple hour murder mystery that you could just Mm -hmm. go play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then one of the specific like sega development teams i think it was sega hardlight uh on their company like their development team account also did an april fool's day joke in which they uh, shared a bunch of screenshots of a sonic the hedgehog dating sim that didn't exist they were just Photoshop mock-ups of a thing that people would want but doesn't exist. And, like, that's both the same brand and, like, the the sheer difference in those... Like, if you go read the responses under both of those, it, it's clear that one of them was like, oh, this is a really pleasant surprise. We're having a laugh along with this. And one was, you just showed me a thing mm-hmm. I wanted and then told me I was silly for wanting it. That's not fun. Oh. That's the problem with so much April Fool's stuff is it's yeah. it's not a joke if it's just a lie i usually I, end I up lied, just calling yeah. it liar's day because it's just yeah. people telling lies yeah i i told you a lie and you went oh that's that's a thing i would like and then it's like ha 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 not only do you not have it but you're stupid for wanting it yeah, yeah. 
It's like when fucking so, Fred Schneider said it was a rock. <laughs> but it wasn't a rock. Rick. It's an audio medium, Fred. <laughs> if you tell me it's a rock, I'm going to think it's a rock. Don't say condescendingly and with the tone in your voice <laughs> that, that implies you think I'm stupid that it was a lobster. They're two very different things. Fred. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, go, go go check out The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's, it's pretty good. Um... Should we do some new shit? Yeah, I just got one thing to say very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Strangler Snickers. That was another one. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on, we shall. Yeah. There's not a huge amount of video game news this week. We've got a couple of little bits. Nothing Activision Blizzard King oh. this week. We've just got a brief moment of respite from that. But what we do have is another story about Saudi Arabia. Oh. Uh, we've had a few of those every now and then the last couple of months. Uh, uh, reportedly, uh, the Saudi Arabian government is planning to invest $38 billion into the country's video game industry. Uh, which seems in line with the moves that they have been making the last year oh, yeah. or two. Yeah, they are absolutely um, interested in investing in entertainment industries, cultural things yeah. that they can can profit from um especially as as the world burns because of oil um they're cashing out yes they're they're also i would argue trying to launder some perception issues they have by associating themselves with pop culture uh as as a reminder uh they currently own an 8.26 percent share of nintendo um, they own millions of shares in EA and Take-Two. Um, uh, according to a Bloomberg uh, report, they uh, hope to work with companies to uh, publish, run their own esports business, or develop new IPs together. Uh, yeah, it seems like they are just continuing to pour more and more funds into... Owning, owning a stake in pop culture is... The place we've got to land when the oil dries up a bit. Um, other than that, the main uh, grumble about the industry story we have this week is another story where a company tries to take ownership of a single common use word and say that they own it in context that they will never use it in. Uh, Monster Energy, the the caffeine drink brand, uh has filed a lawsuit against an indie developer for using the word monster as part of a multi-word video game title. What monsters? So, <laughs> uh, the, the the indie game in question is called Dark Deception, Monsters and Mortals. Uh, and according to the developer Glowstick Entertainment... Monster has lodged a legal complaint because the game includes the word monsters, plural, in its title. Have they gone after Pixar as well? Like for Monsters, Inc.? For Monsters, Inc.? No, because Disney could put up a fight. Have they gone after the UK 2000 short-lived band The Automatic? They had that song called Is It a Monster? What's that coming I'm over guessing. the hill? Yeah, yeah that, that, one. Was, that was that them. one. Yeah. I used to love that song. Uh, Lady Gaga did one too. Yeah, they're going to go after Lady Gaga. 
Oh, these are all people with money. Are they going to go after the the um, character representing the letter M in Letterland? That is a fucking throwback for for any that of is the a fucking throwback. You, you you sort of threw me for a loop there. <laughs> for any of the really old fucking people watching. God, yeah, no, that has put me back in primary right? school there for a second. Um, according to uh, here's a sort of quote from the developer: "It's well known that Monster Energy is a notorious trademark troll. Unfortunately, they're at it again." For a company that likes to target their drinks at gamers, they also like to try and bully and bankrupt game studios with lengthy high-dollar litigation. Monster Energy's lawyers are coming after us right now, because Dark Deception Monsters and Mortals has the word monsters in it. They claim that our game is confusingly similar to their energy drink. Yep, that's really their claim. Rather than roll over, I'm going to fight them in court. Monster also claims that because his game's logo has some black and some green in it, that's oh you said you said monsters and you've got some black and green therefore that's our brand. Oh my god, are they going to go after Hal Jordan? Are they going to go after Luchasaurus? What's another one? What's another? What's another black and green? Marvin the Martian. Marvin the Martian. Are they going to do that? This isn't the first time they've gone after games. They've gone they've gone after big studios before. You, you remember oh, what was that? Uh, the Ubisoft game Immortals: Phoenix Rising. Do you remember what that was originally called? Um, wasn't it called... Hang on, I've got it here. <laughs> Ultra Fiesta Mango. Ah, so so close, so close. It was it was called Gods and Monsters. Ah. And Monster threatened to sue Ubisoft, and Ubisoft didn't fight it and back down and change the game's name to Immortal Phoenix Rising. Jesus Christ. Like, Monster has precedent for... Get for going, no, you can't call your game now, hold Monsters on. Ubisoft, who we should note are uh, notably trustworthy and honest as a company, <laughs> claimed true. that they made that change for creative reasons. Yes, they definitely didn't do it because of the lawsuit. As far as Ubisoft says, they changed it for purely unrelated creative reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. This stings as... As a professional wrestler with ADHD, Monster Energy literally courses through my veins. It's all we drink. I mean, I say that like as, as if I expect moral integrity from any company that makes energy drinks. Like, it's actual toxic waste that is canned for consumption. They handed me their phone with uh, a tweet from friend of the show, Casey Explosion, who pointed out an interesting thing related to this. Casey said there's something very funny about this because some years back there was a company who was ubiquitous for filing these kinds of spurious lawsuits, Monster Cables. They made overpriced guitar cables and thought they owned the word monster. Can you guess who they sued? So Monster's been on the receiving end of this and they just thought to themselves, that's a good idea, we'll do that too. What was that guy Was it Tim Langdell or something? Uh, Edge. Frank Langella, the Edge guy, who tried to sue anything with Edge in the title. He, oh, mate. He he made a lot of jerk-off instruction channels on OnlyFans very angry. Good on this dev for, you know, trying to to fight back, because, yeah, it's bullshit to go one-fifth of your game title is a pluralised version of our energy drink word... You can't do that. Yeah. It's a gross. That's that's. Yeah. It's a gross overstep. Um, 
even by uh, trademark trolling standards, um, because the idea, as far as I've always understood it, um, is it's mostly applicable within an industry. For example, when that Mojang game, Scrolls, changed its name because Bethesda was all like, oh, that is like Elder Scrolls. Now, that was bullshit. But yeah. it is a case where a similar name was at least within the same industry. A yeah. an energy drink going after a video game is so like even the edge fuck even the like the fucking edge dude. He he kept it within games. If this wasn't a video game and we were talking about someone had released a black and green uh branded energy drink that had like dark deception at the top of the can the word monsters in a like down where the monster would be on a can of monster and then uh monster monsters and mo- like the and mortals where you put the flavor on the can yeah i could see i could see monster going you've used the word monster on an energy drink in a similar theming that is confusing. No one's going to look at this indie game called Dark Deception Monsters and Mortals on, like, the PSN store or whatever and go, I bet that's a can of delicious, refreshing monster energy. Yeah, like, that's the thing. The idea historically, like, the argument historically from companies, um, quote-unquote, protecting their trademarks has always been that. Like, that product could be confused for our product. You're not confusing a video game for an energy drink. Now, here's where I think they can make a roundabout argument. I, I don't know that this has ever been tested anywhere in a court, but we now exist in an age of branded sponsorship and branded content. And it is not inconceivable to me that Monster would slap their name on a shitty video game and push oh, it to absolutely. market right yeah but they but. so here's here's the point that i'm making that i don't think i don't think they're right in making this statement but the argument that they can make is that this could be confusing the consumer in terms of our association with this product but again i would argue in response your brand only ever uses the word monster as a singular. Here it is used as a plural. It's not even the same word. The word is too generic. This was the problem with Edge yeah. as well. It's too generic. If we allow for that kind of I, thing, then yeah. then we are fucked. Oh, yeah. Like, who's claiming ownership over the like universal, generic, store-bought words? Like, it... it you, especially for video games, media in like fiction media in general, to take the word monster and say that's ours and your media product can't use it because we've slapped it on a can. It's like the only way you're confusing the products is if you're comparing nutritional value between software and a monster energy can. But other than that, you can't say that a video game... I mean, obviously they can because viva la fucking capitalismo, but, like, it's not right. No, it's... it's Like, it's, it's horrifying. It is not right. It's kind of fucking terrifying. And I take some solace in the knowledge that it is very very unlikely uh, and i mean sad 
in in many ways uh i'm not celebrating this but um i i I strongly doubt they have the resources to take a case like this to its conclusion like ultimately to the point where it would have uh a significant legal impact in this country because the way the court system has gone in the united states over the last decade I don't have any faith that the right decision would be reached. Yeah. And and yeah. the moment that decision is enshrined, we have entered an era of the privatization of language, yeah. which, yeah, we don't want to be there. Like, I've seen how badly privatization has fucked up the trains in this country. The positive alternate world we get to live in is the one where... A big corporation on a case-by-case basis bullies people out of being able to use basic common words in context that they're not being used. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I have one bit of nice news to finish up this week so we can end on something positive. Well then, before we do that, because uh, I know, I, I, I think you hadn't intended for this to be on the docket because it was something that happened like the day Podquisition oh, came out. Yes, it, I had intended this to be on the docket, but I it was at the top of the docket, and therefore I forgot it because that's not usually where I put the news. So E three's done. Yeah, yeah. That that happened right after we recorded last yeah. week. Yeah, and I've been thinking about it a lot, and I I loved the Jimquisition. Uh, the sheer quantity of cringe oh, was thank you. overwhelming. <laughs> that was. I think that was the biggest editing undertaking the show's ever had. Mm-hmm. That was because I didn't want to just like regurgitate other people's compilations of those shows. So I downloaded all of them and went through them um, and actually did miss the uh, creepy dude staring at the back of someone's head at the Konami conference. But otherwise, <laughs> I got every surreal fucking moment from that thing. Um, yeah, like that's and that's the only thing I really miss is is what I spoke about in the Jimquisition is there. The, the memes and the jokes and the, the cringing and everything. Because uh, we have we haven't needed it for years. Well, we haven't had it for years. Mm. Um, See, I'm, but... I'm going to argue that there is a loss. Like, a, a real okay. loss uh, that will be felt in this industry from the abandonment of E3. And I, I call it an mm. abandonment. Because that's essentially what it is. This is, uh, from my perspective, the biggest industry players pulling the ladder up behind them. Um, This E3, for all of the shit that it was, and there's a lot of shit, and I I do not miss being involved with having to cover that event or participate in it, but um, it did provide a platform, a stage, and a focus point where everybody who was interested in video games from a, a casual to a you know much more obsessive audience range everyone was looking in that direction at the same time and this provided an opportunity for mid-tier publishers for indies who weren't getting picked up necessarily and put on the stage with one of the major platform holders uh, in their little presentation reel um, to get attention on their project. 
Um, We've got the Game Awards for that, though. Yes, yes. And arguably, it's a better platform because trade show lasting a week uh, and and demanding sort of casual audience mindshare for that versus here's a night and it's an award show, like, Anyone can wrap their heads around that concept. I like. I mean, I, I I think it is a value. I think it's a valuable marketing vehicle. I don't think it's a diverse enough one, and I think it's got a cost barrier to entry that's different. Um, Possibly, but I would argue that, like, for all the attention that indie games could manage to get at E three, we are getting the basically the same level because. The smaller indie games at E3 rarely ever got a look in. Um, and anything that was big enough to get attention is getting quite a bit of attention on the Game Awards. You know, it's where Hades 2 was announced. Uh, I mean, how are we defining indie here, I guess, is the thing that I would turn to. I mean, Paradox Interactive, half of their shit I would find out existed because of E3. Because I can't, you know, I'm not going to get exposed to it anywhere else. There are, are tons of publishers that are not on that huge scale that I would absolutely, and it will, I will not see their product um, because they can't fit into the time constraints of the game awards show or they can't afford to get in. Uh, And it's, I I don't know that on the balance, you know, but it, it is going to create a greater level of disparity between the largest industry players and everybody else possibly possibly i i don't think it was that leveling i understand what you mean as someone who you know we've all three of us have covered e3 before and it it has at times certainly when it was more influential uh did do a good job of consolidating everything um, so that at least everything was viewable, even if people didn't choose to view it. Um, but I think it was also a week of the year where a lot of stuff would still slip through the cracks because everything's happening at once. Um, it's a little hard for some small game to get any attention during a week where everyone's talking about big console reveals and and stuff like that. Um, where every single day has some huge bombshell announcement. I don't disagree with with that sort of assertion necessarily, but at the same time, it, it is a volume scope, right? Like, when is there another time of year where you're going to have a chance at getting that attention? I don't think it exists. And, you know, uh, there's still Tokyo Game Show, and they're going to be around. There's still Gamescom. There are still shows out there, but none of them are as significant to the North American market. And that tends to be the dominant one. I think it's something that's that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much the North American market continues to be important. Like, we may be yeah. in decline. I mean, we will... We will see. Like, I would wonder if, you know, a a game like, you know, like Bone Razor Minions, like, would that 
have benefited more from E3? Well, no. Would it have been but I'm, shown? But again, Would it, like... I, I'm not necessarily talking about the, the, the tiny guy, right? I'm talking about your, your mid-range jank. You know, some of the stuff that we really like that has, you know, some investment of resources and time. You know, it is a project of, signif- of significance that uh, I just don't think we're going to see as many of um, or know that they exist. Possibly. I, I'm not so sure myself. I think between the actual hardware platforms themselves you know, from Steam to the consoles, doing not a terrible job of pushing a lot of stuff. Um, Just the fact that social media has become so ubiquitous that a a game can become a cult here, I think a lot easier than it could during the the heyday. Oh, for sure. Um, I don't think... um, I don't think we're going to see companies like Paradox... Um, suffer all that much um near as i can tell like they're actually pretty good with social media and stuff um i don't follow the industry like i used to in terms of i well all all i will say is i don't think say paradox will struggle but i think the next company trying to be at that same sort of range and niche i think struggles I think that E3 was good for new teams in that sort of range to get their foot in the door. And I, you know, I don't know whether the numbers back that up, but I, you know, my my gut says that Comrade is correct to some degree. Yeah, I don't think it's going to mean the collapse Um, of, you know. No, no. But I think there is something to what you're saying. And, you know, like I said in the Jimquisition, E3 had a purpose it, it wasn't like completely useless. it was necessary at one point for for sure at one point like i mean i was reflecting on this with some people uh in my discord recently e3's function as a public facing marketing tool is a relatively recent innovation when this show first sort of started out as a you know a, a part of ces it, it it was because they needed to get video games into retailers that you know and that was what a lot of the business continued to be for a long time but we have seen consolidation in the retail sector and in the games industry to the extent that neither of them has any use for this show anymore and i i think that is concerning um, and we should all be thinking about what that means for late stage capitalism. Do you really? I mean, think about how few places there are to buy games now. Yeah. Uh, we got we got one other thing to to, to quickly go, go over before we finish up this week. This is just a nice little thing. This is a thing I've been asking for for ages. I'm really glad to see it picking up a little bit. I think it was about a year or so ago, Xbox uh, introduced accessibility tags on their online store on, on the Xbox, where you could like look up a game on the Xbox store and on the store page, see a listing of what accessibility settings it has. And particularly, I really like Xbox's um, implementation of this, because to get those accessibility tags on the uh, the store page, 
you not only have to have that setting offered in your game, but it has to be to a degree of quality that Xbox is willing to go, we are happy to advertise you have that feature. It's not just present, but it is implemented well. I think this should be a standard across the industry. Uh, Xbox has put a really good example of how to do it, and we've seen a little bit of it picking up this week. It was announced that, uh, I think by the end of this week, PlayStation 5 is getting the same. You'll be able to go on, on the PlayStation Store on PS5, look at a game, and see if it's got accessibility settings listed on the game itself. Now, a couple of little caveats. At launch, it's largely going to be first-party titles that have these uh, these these tags implemented, and it will be a process of getting third parties uh, on on board with taking part in the system. That is much how Xbox's uh, setup is, but Xbox has been very proactive about pushing for those, so fingers crossed adoption is good with third parties. Additionally, we don't know what the execution is going to be like, because at the time of recording this, it hasn't gone live yet. I really hope that PlayStation takes a similar approach to Xbox in that they have a level of quality threshold that needs to be met in order to get those those tags, rather than just tick box, yes, they're in there. But this is a really positive move forward, and it, it now means that Nintendo is the only one of the three console manufacturers that isn't doing this, and I hope that that continues to spread, because making it so people who are disabled can look at a game on a digital store and see without purchasing whether it has the settings they need, it's just a really good move. It's just a really nice thing for the industry. That's just a nice thing I want to end on, because gaming news is sometimes miserable. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's it. Yeah? We did it. Yeah. 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 God, I'm... tired. Sorry, it Same. only just hit me just how fucking... <laughs> like, I, I took ADHD meds and started working and then forgot to eat all day and then live-streamed, thinking it was Monday. And then almost passed out on stream because I hadn't eaten. And then I had to eat a pie and beans on stream. I don't like eating on stream. God, I'm so fucking tired. Uh, but, Laura. Yeah? Here's me talking about doing a lot of work. You do, like, a million work. And I'm sure people would love to know about it. I, I do a bunch of stuff. Uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. I've got that good unified branding. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, whatever whatever platform you use, you can find me at Laura K Buzz. Uh, a couple of things I've guested on that are worth checking out this week. Um, over on the YouTube channel uh, Edache, uh, I, t- uh, I, w- I uh, spoke a little bit in a video called April Fool's Day on the Internet, uh, where I talked... Uh, about autism and April Fool's Day and, like, the the fun that is this day for people with certain neurodiversities. Uh, I also guested on an episode of The Spin-Off Doctor's Spin-Off, which is a podcast that reviews video game movies, but not the ones that the spin-off doctors would talk about. Like, really obscure, weird little shit. Uh, so we we reviewed... Super Mario Brothers, The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach from the late 1980s. Uh, so you can go listen to us spend an hour and a half prattling on about a late 80s uh, animated Mario movie. Just Laura K. Buzz, you'll find me in all the places. Lovely. Go go check out the stuff. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you could uh, find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. 
You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com. Listen to me on the podcast, Let's Talk About Snacks, talking about snacks, or go check out Red Planet, which is a show I produce hosted by four lovely leftists who want to make the world a better place and help you to do it too. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And do you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oi, oi! Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That supports this show and the Jimquisition, of course. It allows us to uh, regularly apply um, delightful moistening milks to the cornflake homunculus's flaking form. Um, Do check out that Jimquisition that Conrad mentioned. Um, The Death of E3 celebration special. Very proud of it. It was... It was a lot of work, that one. Um, I also stream, allegedly, Twitch TV slash Jib Sterling. Let me think if I can remember my wrestling bookings, because my schedule's fuller than my fucking head of hair. Uh, April 22nd should be my next confirmed date. That is in Preston. Uh, That is with PCW, where I will be representing them as their women's champion. Then on May 12th, I'll be in Liverpool. That's a city debut. That's Effie's Big Gay Brunch. I am part of the Rainbow Rumble match. Uh, Then... When's the next confirmed one? Don't say one that isn't. Uh, July, I think it's July 8th. No, June 8th. I'll be in York, I believe. Um, There are others, but let me just skip right ahead to August 26th. Uh, I will be um, in Leeds again for True Grit Wrestling. I will also be, oh, I'll be doing Sov Pro's show in July. And on, oh, June 10th. Oh, fucking hell. June 10th, I'll be in Blackpool for Pride of the Ring 2. Uh, that'll be the second annual biggest um, LGBTQ plus wrestling show of the year. I will be in the main uh, defending the PCW Women's Championship against Harley Hudson. Um, it's just going to be really good. Uh, there are other dates, and I know I've forgotten ones that have been announced, and hopefully not said ones that aren't. Um, but yeah, those are the things to keep an eye out. Uh Thank you, everyone, who turns up to those. Um, It's amazing that you do. And I hope to see you at events in the future. Until then, thank you so much. We will definitely see you uh, next week for this. Uh, Yeah, thank you as always. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.